welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and a hello to Eric Crema, the host of Spotlight on Success. I love that name, Eric. Um, I wish I would have thought that, but that's your name. <laughs> um, anyhow, I, I just want to know who you're talking to today. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to interview Chris Davis. He's founder and principal attorney for Davis Law Group. Uh, besides being a law group, they also are very involved in the community, including their support for Mothers Against Drunk Driving, uh, MAD, as everyone tends to know it. Uh, MAD has a an event coming up in September. It's uh, Walk Like MAD, September 16th. So we're going to talk about that and why Davis Law Group uh, is so interested in supporting an organization such as MAD. I love these type of operations mm-hmm. and nonprofits that do that sort of thing, and I'll be anxious to hear your interview. How about you, Paul? Well, I have two guests today. Uh, One is Tom Wilson, and the second is Dr. Lucy Spellman. First up will be Tom, and he is like in his mid-60s, and he was thinking about retirement, and he realized he didn't really have a plan. He reflected that he may have a life ahead of him that may be 20 to 30 years. And so I think a lot of people in life, they're programmed pretty much up to a certain point. You know, they are working for a job, they come home every day, they're raising a family. So they're pretty well programmed in. But when you hit the retirement bell, it's kind of like, you know, you're on your own a lot. And that can sound really good. But I think if you don't have a plan, it can also be really lonely. And so he reflects on that. And he wrote a book called Next Stage in Life. Mm. Is your retirement uh, something that you want to do and uh, and create your own life. You know, a lot of people have the luxury of working, but 50% of people over 65 are working out of necessity or they just want to stay busy. So it's a really important question, I think, to ask. And I think a lot of times there's stereotypes about older adults. I mean, that we're getting over in other societal stereotypes. The last one left is older adults. And what you think sometimes about retirement is getting in a Winnebago and going across the country or something. That's what you do. Um, I wouldn't be caught in a Winnebago for a <laughs> drive you know, down the freeway, uh, let alone get into going to campgrounds and things. Nothing wrong with that. It's just not for me. And that's what I think a lot of older people have a lot of interest in doing different things. And so that's why I was very caught by this book. And I want to talk to him about that. And um, you know, you want to do something, maybe teach or find a hobby that other people can benefit from. And uh, again, the title of this show is Voices of Experience. Come on this show. Talk about things that you can help other people really get benefit from. One more uh, comment on that. Whatever you think of President Biden, when I talk about experience, and that's the central point of this show, is that I think he really showed experience does matter in dealing with the situation we've had recently and are going to continue to have in Ukraine. He's been experiencing government for 30, 40 years. You may not agree with him, and I don't know what you think about him, but he definitely, I think, experience that he's had has benefited from us. That's my opinion. Um, Then next, we have a Dr. Lucy Spellman, and uh, she is a wildlife veterinarian. She was the first woman and youngest person to head the Smithsonian National Zoo. She brought two giant pandas into the U.S. from China. She worked as a consultant to Animal Planet. And at one time, she moved to Central Africa to run the field program for gorilla donors and doctors. And um, as Bill Maher would say, my old job. So we're, um, I think we got a great show, Eric. Both of us combined, this is going to be fun. So Tom Wilson coming up next. When a flock of geese knocked out two engines on U.S. Airways Flight 1549 right after takeoff from LaGuardia Airport, who would you want in the cockpit? Captain Sully or a pilot on their maiden flight? If Captain Sully was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices 
Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos... She instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from Story U, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at KW.com. Every day, literally, thousands of people turn 65. Some feel excitement, some feel scared, and probably a little bit of both. But just think about it for a moment. A lot of your life up to that point is pre-programmed. You have a job, you have a family, and pretty much your days are set. And now you hit a point where you may have open, free time. What are you going to do with that time? You kind of think, oh, this is going to be great However, if you don't have a plan, it may not be so great. So I talked to an individual who wrote a book on this, and it's called Next Stage. In your retirement, create the life you want. His name is Tom Wilson. So let's just get right to my discussion with Tom about this very important subject. And I think it does really a lot of good if you get proactive on this. Your background and what led you to writing this book? So I hit 60 like a lot of people. So I was dealing with the sort of transition to the sort of next generation of that group and thinking about, so what am I going to do? I think I'm going to have hopefully 20 or 30 years of healthy life ahead of me. And was I kind of ready for doing something different? And so I started reading a bunch of books and they were all kind of very focused on one thing like financial planning or uh, some things on health and things about power of purpose. But no one really ever kind of put that stuff together in a way that made some sense to me. I, I learned that there are 10,000 people a day turning 65. So I didn't feel much, I didn't feel alone. I just, that there's like this phenomenon that's happening. And I decided, you know, I think there's a book here and it's got to be about something that's more a sort of a one shop one place that integrates a lot of these concepts that people talk about in these various books in terms of like, you know, who are you and what you're going to be. And so uh, as I uh, walked my dog through the woods a lot of Concord, um, thought a lot about what to do with that. And this emerged was like, and I interviewed people and read these books and stuff. And I said, you know, there are really five questions that seem to be common. So what are you going to do with your time? And are you going to have enough money? And uh, who are you going to live with about relationships and how do you stay healthy? Lots of interesting stuff about health, you know, and then the issues around identity and lifestyle and stuff like that. So I just found myself fascinated by the idea of saying, um, I kind of put this together and put it in a way that would be research-based, tell stories and provide worksheets and checklists and guidance to help people figure out their own solution. When I talk to various people about their finances, I think they're doing much better than they think they are. And it takes some mm -hmm, financial mm -hmm. planning and they would be at a better place, but they don't seem to do that. Do you find that at all? Absolutely. And it's almost the rouge they put around why they aren't dealing with some more important issues like, so who are you going to be when you retire? When you ask you the question, so what do you do? There's a, like a choke that occurs in people's throats. And so a lot of people say, I'm hesitant about that. And they will talk about money. It's like the reason that people say the reason they leave their companies is because of pay. And oftentimes that's obviously not the answer. But some people do need to worry about it. I mean, most people do need to worry about it. And so the question is, how can you do things that you really want to do in this life while you still can? and make money at it that you can live on. And so there's this living responsibly kind of question that's sort of implied in all this. Um, for some people and others, um, you know, it's it's relax. Okay, your financial planner has got it all figured out and you can see what the numbers look like and you can live on 4% of your assets and have a nice life. 
What about the people who are, let's say, facing retirement and they're coming mm-hmm. down the pike and they haven't asked these questions? What do you think mm-hmm. is the first thing they should do? You have this laid out really well and you say, like, what do you want to do with your time? And that right. sounds easy, but I think it's real difficult. When I do this, and this kind of goes back to a bit of my sort of training background, is I help people look both backwards and forwards. And so I had this wonderful story I want to tell you about that I was at a, a baseball game. I'm a Red Sox fan. obviously live in Boston. And I was at their training camp in Fort Myers, and I was sitting next to this guy that was like naive, four years old. And um, so I said to Tony, we got talking, whatever. I said, Tony, so what's the secret for a long life? And he looks at me and he points his finger and he says, never stop working. And he realized, so we were laughing about that. And his wife leans over and says, and he never sits down. And what was so interesting about the story with Tony is that he's actually true. It's not about work, but it's about doing things that are purposeful and have meaning for you and that will actually create something that keeps you going. With that, I said, okay, well, who can help somebody answer that question? If you look back on the times in your life when you were in your element, you just love doing what you're doing. And don't just look at one, maybe look at four or five or six of some really interesting, useful experiences that you, you know, World War III could come and go and you wouldn't even notice because you were so engaged and so energized by what you were doing. And then also look at the things that you're really good at. What are your core strengths, your uh, unique abilities, the things that you're really, really good at? So if you can find ways of doing the things that you love doing, using the skills, maybe helping to refine those in some ways in some capacity, and look for creative ways to do that, what you find is that people find a level of meaning that they don't get by just sort of playing another round of golf. Maybe there's something else that you ought to begin looking at. So part of what I do... Proactive versus having things come to you all the time. You have to get out there. Absolutely. You know, that's a really good point because I look at this thing in in an interesting sort of way. So if you fast forward to a point in time in your life when you can't get around, you physically are just not able. So you've got some time between where you are today and where you are at that point in time to do the things that you really want to do, to be able to look back on your life and say, you know, my life was well lived and I did what I wanted to do with it. And that's sort of my wish for people is that they would use this time both to figure that out and then to do it. Because I like to say frequently, if not now, when? That's great advice. And uh, let's move Mm -hmm. on to another one. And that is staying healthy beyond, let's say, the obvious eating well, exercise and and get plenty of sleep. What what would you expand on that? I was talking to a naturalist, natural food uh, uh, counselor the other day, and he was saying that what he advises his clients is everybody knows is about fruits and vegetables, but, you know, if you allow 20% of your diet to be stuff that's junk food or whatever, not healthy food, but you maintain fairly disciplined around the 80%, you'll be healthy because your body can tolerate some level of intolerance, you know? And so there's certain things that we can do that it allows us to focus on the things that is, in fact, helpful. Like, you know, they talk about the Mediterranean diet, at the blue zone dives home and in exercising the part of the thing about exercise is is making it fun so they can do like fast walking or they can do riding bicycles or whatever they can sort of do something more almost every day that gives you some level of get your heart going and then as you were saying is everybody has certain things small things they can do that is to take care of themselves and it could be things like um, you know how you focus on vitamins how you look at um, like getting like you said about sleep or you know there's some really interesting things that people are doing because you have to take ownership of your health the research is showing that you know only 25% of your health is, is a function of your genetics and 75% is based on your behavior the person that's responsible for you is yourself. And so what can you do now? Even if you wait till your 70s to start exercising on a regular basis, it will have enormous benefits in terms of dementia, your stamina, and doing whatever. So it's about finding little things that you do that starts changing your own behavior in a way that you say, you know, I feel good about that. The people who do live into their 90s and have a healthy lifestyle, they're always on the move. They're doing something. So that spoke to me that activity is so important to get up and out the door and doing things. Yeah. And our longevity in other parts, other developed countries, longevity is actually increasing like about three months 
every year. In the United States, it's actually going down. A lot of it has to do with um, obesity and, you know, some, you know, addictive habits, smoking and, you know, other kinds of alcohol and stuff like that. So the stuff that's so interesting about all this is the, the book is not probably going to give somebody totally new information. Oh my God. And now I found the, you know, the panacea It's stuff that people probably already know, but to some stuff, it gives them some more reason as to understand it a little more deeply about whatever it might be talking about. And then to sort of say, you know, time to take ownership of your own health or your time or your relationships and start to deal with them because the next stage is going to be harder. It's kind of a call to action, but trying to do it in a nice way because I'm a nice guy. Um, <laughs> now your book is called Next Stage in Your uh-huh. Retirement, Create the Life You Want. And you also have a website, uh, yep. www.mynextstage.org. You've got great information yep. on that. So you can also order yep. the book on that. But before before I yep. let you go, I want to ask one other question yeah. here, and this sure. is kind of a dicey one, and that is find out who you want to live with going forward. Now, I think that's a default <laughs> decision for many of us. I hope we don't cause mm-hmm. divorces in this conversation. Right. <laughs> but could you elaborate on that? What's interesting is it's not just about your primary relationship, although a lot of the divorce rate of people over 60 has tripled in the last 10 years. So this is a question for some people. A lot of people in their work life were with a community of people. They're working with, you know, the band of brothers or sisters or whatever. And now on Tuesday afternoon, they're alone. And so the question is that I used to have all my friends at work or friends at whatever, and now I'm alone. And being alone is not good. Uh, so part of the challenge is to look at rebuilding yourself as a community of people that you can hang out with, just sort of replace them. And we, it is clear that men in a primary relationship do better in terms of longevity and, and the quality of that life than men who are single. But that's not true for women. But women who had a group of sisters they could hang out with actually had the same effect as having with a male having a primary relationship. One of the people I talked to, he was discovering that he didn't have the kind of relationship with his kids that he had wanted. He had had a divorce quite a number of years ago, and you know he kind of let the relationship with his kids wander. And he said, you know, I want to rebuild my relationship with my kids. So it touches people in lots of ways, but relationships are pretty damn important. That's author Tom Wilson. The name of the book is Next Stage. In your retirement, create the life you want. If you'd like to get a copy of this book, you can just Google Tom Wilson Next Stage and that'll provide you a pathway to how you get the book. Well, I'm so happy to have in studio via Zoom, Chris Davis. He is founder and principal attorney at Davis Law Group. Welcome, Chris. Hi, thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time. I know you're busy. You pop up quite a bit in local media and national media, so I'm happy to have some of your time today to talk about not only Davis Law Group, but a very important and interesting organization that you're involved with on the charity side. Yes, absolutely. I'm glad to talk about it. Sounds good. For those who are not familiar, however, with Davis Law Group, can you talk a little bit about that and what it was like to found such an organization and where you're trying to take it in the future? Yeah, so Davis Law Group started back in 1994. I was just a solo lawyer practitioner, and now we're coming up on our 30th year anniversary. Uh, We specialized in helping accident victims. That's pretty much all we do. We handle a wide range of cases, typical car accident, truck accidents, construction injury cases, professional negligence, governmental negligence. We've got about 30 people right now on staff. We're in Seattle. We feel it's really important to devote uh, a large uh, percentage of our time and resources to charitable causes. For instance, uh, Mothers Against Drunk Driving is one of those causes. Mm -hmm. But uh, we take our job very seriously. We we represent people whose lives have been changed uh, in some way. Uh, Oftentimes, it's the loss of a loved one. Mm. And so we're very sensitive to what our clients go through. And we try to give back to the community in different ways. And the MAD organization is just one example of that. You know, I think it's wonderful that you are involved with MAD. We're going to get into that. But I'm curious to get your take on what it's like out there on the roads right now, because I I travel about two hours each way when I come into the office. And I've seen a noticeable uptick in aggressive driving that has led to crashes and a lot of times fatalities. Is it just my imagination or are things getting a little more hairy out there? 
I don't think it's your imagination. I think that's actually true. And, and what is happening? You know, it's funny, uh, during the pandemic, uh, there was actually an uptick in motor vehicle accident cases that we saw, hmm. including an increase in deaths on the highway, which uh, didn't make a lot of sense since most people were not driving. But what we learned is that uh, during the pandemic people that did drive were driving more aggressively without as many cars on the road uh, they were speeding and so forth and we saw the results of that now today i think the traffic has gone back to pre-pandemic levels in fact it's probably picked up even more than that and just by the sheer congestion of more drivers on the road that means there's more opportunities for accidents and we do see people though that are continuing that aggressive behavior on the roads that we saw a lot during the pandemic and uh, i don't know what to make of it we've checked the you know the state and national figures as far as accidents and wrongful deaths we know in washington state death cases involved in um, traffic accidents has actually increased in the last year mm. so we know the figures are there to support what you're seeing anecdotally out on the roadways yourself yeah so definitely drive defensively and uh, no drinking and driving speaking of which i love the fact that you have aligned yourself with mothers against drunk driving uh, i remember back in the 80s i think it was 1980 when uh, that was founded and became sort of a watchword for public safety and growing up in high school that was right in my wheelhouse as far as i was just starting to drive uh, and so i think they've done a, a lot to help reduce drunk driving can you comment on that yeah absolutely so let, let me just give you a little bit of background so you know my wife had a friend that that died when she was in high school she was living back in kentucky that's where she grew up but one of her high school friends died in a drunk driving crash and uh, we were married in 2001 and then she came to work with me in 2006 2007 and uh, she learned that we handled a lot of drunk driving accident victim cases and that's when she reached out to Mothers Against Drunk Driving and actually served on MAD's board for Washington State, had a chance to look at the statistics that MAD puts out as far as how often drunk driving or impaired driving occurs, had the chance to go back to Washington, D.C. to assist MAD in their lobbying efforts and changing the laws to hold drunk drivers accountable. And that's when we really started to get involved with MAD because unfortunately, uh, the cases that we handle often include impaired driving and mm -hmm. dealing with family members who have lost a loved one. And so MAD ended up being an important resource to those clients, those surviving family members, including the grieving process, learning more about drunk driving and so forth. So it really was a partnership that was obvious to us, and, and we're, we were just thrilled to be a part of what MAD stands for. Well, and there's a reason that you're on the show here with us today, because uh, they have an event coming up, Walk Like MAD. It's a charity run. It's September 16th at Magnuson Park. I imagine that uh, you're involved in that as well. Absolutely. And we try to get most of our office staff out there to go to that annual event. It's a really important event as far as raising dollars for the MAD organization. Well, you have a wonderful website. I encourage people to go to your website and also the MAD website, which is just simply madd.org. talks about everything that they're involved in beyond just the awareness of drunk driving not to do it. There's so many statistics there, stories an inspiration as to why you as an individual, a listener out there, might want to get involved in, in the same things that, in this case, Davis Law Group is involved in with MAD. There's lots of ways that you can get involved from donation to time and volunteering. Absolutely. And, and what's important to note is most, if not all, of the people that uh, devote their time and effort to MAD, they almost always have a connection. Either they've lost a loved one or a friend in a drunk driving or impaired driving crash. So uh, the people that, that work at MAD, you know, they strongly believe in its mission. And like you said earlier, I think they have drastically changed or increased the awareness of drunk driving in this country, the problem that it's been. Absolutely. And you and your team at Davis Law Group sort of see the end result of negligent driving or situations where people get hurt on the job or or just through negligence of other people walking the earth, in a sense. Um, so you sort of see the end tail of it. I like the fact that you've proactively then gone and aligned yourself with something like Matt to help find solutions, too. 
Yeah. And, you know, once you've uh, handled a case, a drunk driving case, and you see the devastation that those types of cases leave in its wake as far as surviving family members or people that have been drastically injured in those types of cases, uh, you, you just can't help but feel the strong need to get involved and try to prevent these events from happening in the first place. And so, you know, I can't say enough about Matt and, and raising the awareness. Um, like you said, I grew up, uh, you know, driving, learning to drive in the 1980s. And, you know, drunk driving was more tolerated back then. And I think that's drastically changed today, where most people do not accept that as uh, something that people in our society should have to live with. I want people to check out your website as well, davislawgroupseattle.com. That's davislawgroupseattle.com. Learn about the good things that they're doing there as well. I guess my final question for you, Chris, is looking ahead, what is your vision and goals for the Davis Law Group? And how do you see the firm contributing to the legal landscape in this community for years to come? You know, one of the things that I did several years ago was write a series of books to educate the public about different types of accident cases. You know, lawyers get a bad reputation. A lot of them, I think, are more focused on earning the big fees and so forth. And so I've tried to give back to the community by writing books and educating people so that they can help themselves. I see our vision as continuing that mission and possibly building more uh, bridges with more charitable organizations to help raise awareness about accident cases, different types of cases, how people can protect themselves legally, learning more about their rights. I know that we've grown considerably just in the last couple of years. Uh, We have 30 people on staff. I envision that increasing. We get more resumes from, you know, very qualified attorneys and paralegals that that see the the work that we're doing and the cases that we're handling and want to be involved. So I see our our Seattleite or Seattle office growing and possibly establishing more satellite offices around the state, if not perhaps around the country. That's wonderful. Well, if anyone can do it, it's you. Congratulations on being founder and building this to where it is now, Davis Law Group. Uh, What a wonderful reputation, and I love the fact, again, that you're involved in the community so much. So thanks for joining us today, Chris. Thank you, Eric. It was a pleasure to be talking with you. Same here, and best to you and the entire team there at Davis Law Group. Learn more about Walk Like Mad, September 16th at Magnuson Park, right at mad.org. That's M-A-D-D dot O-R-G. Get out there and support them. We'll be right back with more information right here on Voices of Experience. There are two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Base is loaded. The Seattle Mariners trail the L.A. Dodgers by three runs in Game 7 of the World Series. Who would you rather see step up to the plate? Mitch Hanniger or a promising but yet untested player just called up from the minors? If Mitch Hanniger is your choice, that means experience is important to you. That's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. Topics explored including public affairs, self-employment, travel, health and fitness, history, and Adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Dr. Lucy Spellman is a board-certified zoo and wildlife veterinarian with degrees from Brown University and the University of California at Davis. During her tenure as the first woman and youngest person to head the Smithsonian National Zoo, she brought two giant pandas into the U.S. from China. She worked as a consultant for Animal Planet before moving to Central Africa to run the field program for the Gorilla Doctors. There's so much more to her background. You'll find out more about that as we go through the interview. Let's just get right to it. My interview with Dr. Lucy Spellman. You obviously had a love for animals, but when did that turn into your life's vocation? What point were you at when you said, this is what I want to do? That's a good question. I mean, I I always wanted to work with animals, and then I, I wanted to take care of them. I think that started 
you know, we had some pets when I was growing up, and my aunt was a human doctor, and I just got it in my head that I was going to be an animal doctor, and for all animals, I mean, I was pretty young, maybe 10 or 11, and that many, many years ago now, and I think that that wiring to do this work is pretty similar. Most veterinarians, no matter what the species they work with, kind of were wired that way, and it kind of is this focus, and it helps because it's a long, it's a lot of training to get to through veterinary school, and in my case, you know, many more years to be a specialist in zoological medicine. I mean, it's an amazing job, and I love it. And I think you kind of have to be wired for it to, to do it. So, yeah, everything I can remember is really the short answer. <laughs> yeah, what's interesting is I just spent the last weekend with um, a former veterinarian and graduated from Washington State University. He's 89 years old, and uh, he's very much involved in what's called the Doney Pet Clinic out here. He started along with this gentleman by the name of Doney, it's a uh, veterinarian service that's free to low-income and homeless. As a matter of fact, my wife now is the president of that organization. But the reason I mentioned that is that when I was talking to Stan Coe, and that's his name, we were talking about back when he was going to vet school and what it is like now. But he recalls then with in mind is that he would be taking uh, care of farm animals more. And that was more of the mission Back at that time when people went to vet school, and certainly now it's changed into a whole nother area where obviously pets and things like that are the main focus. Have you seen that development? Yes, that's a really great observation how, I mean, that's sort of how our society has changed, right? So from utilitarian farming, which is still a big part of veterinary medicine, to then companion animals, and, you know, animals are big parts of our lives. Um, and then And then looking at human impacts on animals, and that's where, you know, endangered species work, conservation medicine, um, zoological medicine, and, and I think that's sort of the dominance of the human species, seeing that um, to maintain this diversity of life on Earth, uh, there, there's a role for the veterinarian because it's, it's really about health. I mean, sometimes I define conservation as preventive medicine for the planet, right? If we, if we save habitats and species, we're, we're, we're really preventing problems that then have a ripple effect and will affect us. So, yeah, I think that understanding of veterinarians as being, I mean, I can't do my job without the people who let me know their animals in trouble or are monitoring the animal in the wild. You know, I've worked both in, in zoos and in private practice and in, in the wild with mountain goats, for example, otters. And so that human-animal connection, I think, is the core and, and understanding what animals need from humans and then going from there. And then that's something that vets get really good at doing. And I think in public health now increasingly, you know, with this whole last two years, the role of, uh, you know, infectious diseases and how they, where they come from and human-animal connections, I think, yeah, I think it's changing in, in a good way. I think um, we have a lot to contribute, but I also think it's complicated <laughs> and it's not simple and there's still a lot that we that we need to understand in order to do to manage those interactions in a healthy way. As you mentioned, the animal kingdom, whether it's pets or truly animals out in the jungle, we can learn so much about infectious diseases and things like that that occur, and that is critical to our future as a human beings it, it, continuing to exist, I guess. I mean, how important is that? I think feeling connected to nature and appreciating it and celebrating it and then understanding it, I think it has to be both of those, right? Because the, and it, and the understanding can be the science part, but it can also be just the, the role that animals play in our lives and being open to the fact that you know, we are the dominant animal and all animals need air, food, water, shelter, each other, and room to move, and that if we want to have a diverse planet uh, as humans decide where the resources go, both for us, you know, we other humans, and and um, the rest of the animal world. That's the good part is like we have caused problems for animals by taking away their habitats, for example. But we also can solve that. We just have to not only want to do that, but we have to structure those solutions so that they benefit the people in the community where the animal is, and and you know that it is all connected. You uh, authored a book, National Geographic's Animal Encyclopedia, over twenty five hundred animals appear in this book. Pretty remarkable uh, display. I mean, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, looking at it, 
what is your takeaway in putting something like this together on such a scale? I've never seen anything on such a scale before. But what do you take away when you look at what you've done as far as the type of animals, how they interact? Is it something that jumped out in, at you when you were putting this all together? Yeah, so the, 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 the National Geographic Kids uh, Animal Encyclopedia, I think what I love most about it is it's just a beautiful book. And the photos, you know, there's a thousand photos in it, and they kind of structure the book and help you get through, you know, go through from one animal group to the next. They help you see um, how animals communicate. You know, there's some fun facts. But I think the photos are, you know, that's the first thing you notice, and then you start going into the text. And I think, again, that the photos are the artistry of the book, and the book is designed in, in such a very, it's so appealing, the colors. And for me, as a scientist, you know, I wrote the entries sort of in response to the photo layout once we decided which animals went in, in each section. And it is an encyclopedia, so it's like a collection of animals that goes through, you know, birds, mammals, reptiles, etc. And I really enjoyed writing the text sort of in response to the photos and because many of the animals are ones that I've touched or worked on as a patient or I've seen very close in the wild. And so I think there's a little bit of, a, you know, artistry and storytelling in the book that makes it special, as well as just the volume of information. It's, and, and all of that information, it's, it's so you can't really even count all the people who contributed because it's all the information we have about the animal world that's been published or shared. And, you know, we drew on all of what we could find to, to put the descriptions in and, the facts. And I, and I think it's, you know, it's meant to be fun uh, and inspirational, but it's also very informative. And, you know, that's really what my work in the last couple of years has been all about is just combining that idea of celebrating and studying as, as our motivation to then protecting. And so the book, I think, is, is, is basically doing that for little kids. And um, it is also a pretty great book to look at if you're the adult <laughs> in the room, because it's, there's a lot to read. And it's, it's also very fun to see where kids go. You know, they page through it, and all of a sudden they're on a salamander page, or they're looking at the butterflies, or they didn't realize that there were small cats, you know, like the lynx, or they only knew about tigers. So it's, it's got a lot to discover, and I think it's, it's the first step in, in balancing those interactions, right, is really appreciating the otherness of the world and, and having empathy for other creatures as well as other people. And I think the book has a, big, has a role to play there for sure. That's Dr. Lucy Spellman. And we just talked about her book, The National Geographic Animals Encyclopedia. And again, it is by Dr. Lucy Spellman. And it has all these photos and maps, about 2,500 animals from the world's tallest to the longest to the strangest. The book is designed for kids, but I think anybody from any age can enjoy this. That's National Geographic Animal Encyclopedia. And you can just go to the usual book outlets to order your own copy, or you can just Google Dr. Lucy Spellman, and that's Dr. Lucy Spellman, and Spellman is S-P-E-L-M-A-N, dash books. So Dr. Lucy Spellman books, and you'll come up on her page, and you'll find a copy of this book and others she's written. I will say once again, I'm not paid a promotional fee for doing these interviews, but I did receive a complimentary copy of the book, in advance of this interview. There are two minutes to go in the big game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers are down by a touchdown. With the game on the line, who would you rather see to come in to play quarterback? A rookie quarterback who'd never played in a big game? Or a six-time winner of the big game? If a six-time winner was your choice, then experience is important to you. And that's what Voices of Experience with Paul Casey is all about. People with experience in their chosen fields. A variety of topics are explored, including local and national public affairs, self-employment, travel, lifestyles, health and fitness, history, and adventure. Welcome to this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey. Voices of Experience is simulcast on AM 880 KIXI and 1150 AM KKNW on Wednesdays at 3 p.m. Voices of Experience is also rebroadcast on Kixie Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. Visit VoicesOfExperience.com and take a five-minute self-employment quiz. The higher you score on the quiz, the higher your prospects for success. That's VoicesOfExperience.com. Well, that's all the time we have for this edition to Voices of Experience. My name is Paul Casey, and along with Eric Crema, thank you for joining us today. Eric, I always ask you this question. I'm anxious to hear who are you going to be speaking with next week? 
Yeah, so another Jared, Jared Loringer, and he is owner of Fizz Events Northwest. And uh, anyone that's been to a run or a, a charitable bike or things like that around the city of Seattle in the general uh, Puget Sound area has probably been to a Fizz-sponsored event. Uh, he's pretty dang prolific, and he's going to talk all about events that they've had in the past. And as we look forward, you know, as we come out of COVID, what are some of the challenges in the say city of Seattle when it comes to things like policing and how does that affect uh, holding these events? So it's going to be really interesting to find out what's ahead, what's on tap for the city in terms of these bikes and runs and and walks that uh, Fizz Events sponsors. You know, that's something I never, ever thought of. I mean, there's so many things I've thought about COVID and the effect it's had, but heck, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you're bringing that to our attention next week. Thank you. How about you? Well, I'm going to be talking to a Sherry Trusheim, and she is with Urban Animal, and she's a veterinarian. And uh, uh, most of our audience, I don't say most, but a good deal of our audience has pets, dogs or cats. And uh, we're coming up to spring or entering spring now and summer. And I just think there may be some things that we should pay more attention to with our pets that maybe we haven't in the past. And one of them I want to talk to her about is about global warming. I happen to believe global warming is happening. Mm-hmm. It's happening in the Northwest, certainly. Uh, at least it's, I think it is. And I'm um, down here in Southern California now. It's happening down here. But how does this affect your pets? Um, you know, maybe you need to get some shots or medications earlier than you used to before. So these are the type of issues I want to bring up with her. And um, also, there has been a movement over the last decade, and a lot of corporations are taking over veterinarian clinics across the country. And I want to get her read on that, what she thinks about that. And she said she would talk about that. And uh, something that I didn't realize until my wife, Marty Casey, the president of the Donico Clinic, brought up to me. So I want to explore that. And then again, just regular pet care that you can do to your pet right now going forward. And then I'm going to talk to a representative about the Moisture Festival. And I think I've said this in the past, is that it's the best event in Seattle that you've probably never heard of. It's called the Seattle Moisture Festival. They've been doing Zoom um, events online the last mm-hmm. couple of years. They are coming out to have it live once again in Fremont at the Hales Palladium. It's a great event, and I'm going to have someone on next week to talk about that. So what else? Uh, any comments about what you heard today? You can call the Voices of Experience hotline at 425-653-1166. That's 425-653-1166. My name is Paul Casey. Thanks to Eric Crema, host of Spotlight on Success, and executive producers Steve Mills and Benny Mathers. Quote of the week, one of the nice things about egotists is that they don't talk about other people. And finally, experience is our best teacher. I found hope in the midst of an overwhelming situation. Alcoholism is a disease that can affect any family. Everyone suffers, but there is help and hope at Al-Anon Family Groups. Al-Anon gave me my life back. I'm a better father and husband. Are you in an overwhelming situation because of someone else's drinking? Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Local and virtual meetings are available. Maybe one could work for you. Call 1-866-200-0033 or visit alanon.org slash hope. For the self-employed, the most important decision you will make is the people you surround yourself with in business. So I want to talk about that today. This is part of my self-employment quiz that is on my website, which is voicesofexperience.com. And on that site, I have, again, a quiz that the higher you score on that quiz, my belief is that your prospects will be higher if you decide to go into business for yourself. And what I like about the quiz and the feedback I've received is that I'm not trying to talk you into going into business for yourself or out of it. I'm just trying to put you in the driver's seat to make that determination for yourself and just use this self-employment quiz as a guide. So if you want to take the quiz and get the results back, input voicesofexperience.com forward slash home. And again, you'll take the quiz and then uh, you'll get the results back immediately. So uh, one of the questions on the quiz is about ethics. 
And I just said that the most important decision you will make is the people you surround yourself with. And I really believe it. I've done a really good job of that overall, but I've stumbled a few times and I've paid a big price. And um, the questions you really need to ask when you're bringing someone into your business, are they honest and straightforward? If they make a promise, do they keep it? If they make a commitment, do they stick to it? Or are they always losing their homework sort of thing? Those are indicators right away. I don't know if it's totally ethically challenged, but it's something that could go back to that uh, really beginning of ethics. So pay close attention to how your clients and associates deal with people on a personal level. Remember my mom telling me about going out and playing golf with someone. I thought it was because you did it uh, to be rewarded for a, a good effort at the office. But in fact, the person who takes you out to golf is watching you to see, do you keep your score honestly? And you can really find out a lot about people when you play around a golf with them, their temperament. And again, do they fudge and things? These are indications. Hmm. So um, that's uh, my parents really taught me a lot of uh, ethics and integrity. So I was very fortunate because of that to have grown up in a family with those options. If you are a person who has to think long and hard about the difference between right and wrong, then starting a business may not be for you. That's how important I think that is. Ethics is defined as the rules and standards governing conduct of the members of the profession. Integrity is defined as strict personal honesty and independence. The only part of life you have absolute control over is your word. If you say, and you work for a large organization, you can sometimes hide from ethics because under the company umbrella, no one's really at fault. They're all kind of involved, but you can point fingers there mm -hmm. and you're not considered to be entirely at fault no matter what happens. But when you are self-employed and you're the business owner, you are 100% accountable for your actions. And um, sometimes when I've been dealing with clients or potential advertisers, things go wrong. And the CEO will say, well, that's not my fault. This person in my company did this, or this person I hired to do it made a mistake. And that's right there tells you a red flag is that you are responsible for that person. You're abdicating your responsibility. If something goes wrong, that is on you. Don't blame your employee. You have that mindset. It'll serve you well going forward. So that's kind of what I uh, wanted to get out of this and uh, about ethics. But again, please feel free to visit voicesofexperience.com forward slash home and just take the self-employment quiz. Adoption of teens from foster care is a topic not enough people know about, and we're here to change that. I'm April Dinwiddie, host of the new podcast, Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Each episode brings you compelling real-life adoption stories told by the families that live them with commentary from experts. Visit adoptuskids.org slash podcast or subscribe to Navigating Adoption, presented by Adopt US Kids. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Administration for Children and Families and the Ad Council. What if the second deadliest cancer in men and women could be prevented? Would you try to avoid the pain? And what if you could protect yourself without leaving your home? Colorectal cancer is highly preventable. Screening is important, safe, and most people have options. Ask your doctor which screening test is right for you. Learn more from the Colorectal Cancer Alliance at GetScreened.org. Where would you love to live? Have you explored today's market? When I spoke with Heather Ramos, she instantly put me at ease. I'm Coach Debbie from StoryU, and I recommend Heather to first-time buyers or dream home shoppers and everyone in between. Let Heather's experience lead you to a perfect location and style and all within your budget. Contact Heather Ramos at Keller Williams. That's Heather Ramos at kw.com. 